Welcome to We Chat Divorce, hosted by Karen Chalou, Legal Liaison, and Katherine Shanahan, CDFA. Each episode, we sit down with divorce professionals and industry experts to provide insights and frank discussions about real people, real situations, and real divorce to help you achieve your best life post-divorce. This episode of We Chat Divorce is brought to you by My Divorce Solution, offering divorce financial planning so clients can secure the divorce settlement they deserve. Visit MyDivorceSolution.com to request access. Welcome to We Chat Divorce. Catherine and I welcome Jay Skibbins today, a co-parenting coach that um, I'm sure many of you have already heard about, but you're going to get to know him better today. Our episode today is all about managing co-parenting triggers, mastering the dollars and cents of a parenting plan. In this episode, we will discuss the triggers of co-parenting and ways to master your response for a better outcome. But first, let's meet Jay. Jay has risen above being raised without a dad, losing his then dream job as a teacher, and even finding out his children weren't biologically his to create a life coaching business to help co-parents navigate their own emotions so they can build thriving lives. Jay, that's that's an right that little I know that sounded great. <laughs> I haven't heard it read back to me before. So no, that's I appreciate that intro. That's uh it's cool that that's my story. It's a it's a nice life to get to live. Mm, yeah. Yeah. And I like that approach you have to it because some people would take would use that life experience from a different lens. Uh, we often hear that, but I love your positive approach. So, you know, while we're talking about your story, um, let's start with that, your story, and share a little bit about that with our audience. Yeah, well, thank you. And I think that for me, my story, even the things I've already lived, keeps unfolding. And, you know, as you get older, for me, as I coach longer or parent longer, it's like things start to make more sense uh, that I didn't quite think about or understand as a kid. So, you know, my mom was a single mom. I have two older siblings that are seven and 10 years older than me. Um, She tried relationships, I think. And by the time I came around, it was like, and I think that a lot of single parents and single moms understand this, like she was just done, like trying. So after things didn't work out with the person when I was like, I was like three or four the last time that she was with anybody. And then for the next 20 years, she was single. So I got a much different experience as far as a kid than like even my brother and sister. So like, it was mostly just me and my mom. Um, so I learned a lot about single parenthood and survival mode that were lessons that I carried with me that I didn't really start unpacking until I had my own kids and started healing my own, you know, at my relationship with money, my relationship with women, my relationship with myself, like my story has been like, let's see what we can throw at this kid. And I've just been able to turn most of it into something positive. Life lessons are the best lessons. Yeah. Yeah. So when in your life did you realize that that is how you are responsive to life experiences? Because I feel like that is just who you are. But at what point in your life did you realize, oh, here's something else coming at me and this is just who I am? 
that's a, that might be the first time anybody's ever asked me that. Um, so I, it's been since I've started coaching because I didn't know that the way I was thinking about things or responding to things was different. I didn't know that there were so many people who were stuck in a mindset, like that they were stuck blaming the other person, blaming life, blaming, I, I, I did for a while blame my co-parent for how things went down and, you know, finding out about the boys the way that I did. I blamed her for a while, but I guess in my mind, everything that's ever gotten better in my life has been because of like something I've let go of or something I've learned. So I, it's been a few years now that I've been intentional with I can change my situation. I can change my mindset. And even if nothing changes around me, like my co-parent's still the same co-parent. My kids are still the same kids. We have the same schedule, but how I operate within all of that changes everything. So I guess I would say in the last three years is when I really became aware that I have this, like, it's a power. Like I tell my clients, it's a superpower. Like you have a superpower. And I guess it's been about three years that I've been really trying to like practice and hone in on this superpower. I love that you recognize that because, you know, anyone that comes through our process, they all, you know, Karen and I have gone through the divorce process ourselves. Um, and everyone wants to be where we are today. Mm. Right. And when you look at me today, yes, I am strong. I am powerful. I know I'm a financial person. But when you saw me in the courtroom three years ago, mm. Or when you saw me 12 years ago, when I was actually going through my divorce process, I wasn't as strong as I look today. I had those crying moments every single day. I feared what was going to happen with my five kids. You know, I feared so many things, but I appreciate the need and the want and the desire of the people going through the process to get the financial clarity that they need. And they want to be like where we are. So I can recognize too. So I, it is by by coaching or giving advocacy to somebody else that we realize how far we've come. Yeah. Well, and I think that the word that you use that I appreciate the most is clarity is, you know, because I think that is, you know, people going through divorce or separation and then into co-parenting, it's simply something that none of us were prepared for. And when you enter into a life place, like let alone like a physical place that you've never been before, if you go on vacation, you've never been somewhere you have that discomfort of like, who do I ask? Or maybe they say things differently or even speak a different language. But then when you're living an experience that you've never been before, that like lack of clarity, that uncertainty, that's when people start grasping for control over things that they have zero control over. And I think that you both would understand this, that the most simple way to help people is to show them what they do have control over and then just kind of walk them through letting go of what they don't have control over. And like, it's that simple. Like, it's not easy, but you know, it's it's always a simple answer. I've never given anybody a complicated, nuanced answer. It's always simple. And it's just about accepting that truth. That's that kiss, you know, keep it simple, stupid. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we always try to focus on the knowns. You know, we're a data-driven company. So although we value the emotional value to a financial um, problem, concern, or question, we always support it with the data and the documents. This way you stay focused on that known fine print, mm -hmm. then what might happen moving forward. Yeah. Yeah. 
And so today we're going to be talking about co-parenting triggers because I feel like that's a root of a lot of parenting and probably general human behavior. Mm -hmm. So as we take it into the context of co-parenting and your financial um, experiences, I think it would help everyone understand, like, let's just talk about what does it mean to be triggered? Um, Jay, I feel like you spend some time in this space with your clients. Yeah. So to me, what I talk about when I talk about triggers is it's your body remembering a past experience. So for some people, it's that feeling when they got in trouble as a kid, you know, and then they that trigger is like when their co-parent ra like raises their voice at them. Or if they had a situation as a kid um, where their parents, you know, talked down to them or made fun of them or got, that happened at school and then say the co-parent says something or even your kids might say something or somebody at work might say something that triggers you and then you freeze up. Or you like, you know, what I talked through were like the fight, flight, freeze, and fawn responses, where you're going to either freeze up and, and just kind of your body locks up and you're not sure what to do. Or flight is when you want to be anywhere except where that like experience is happening. Fight, you're going to, you know, kind of lash back out. And then fawn is one that I think a lot of single parents understand because then you're just like, I'm going to do anything I can to fix this. What do you need? You know, if you need the actual weekend, you take it. Or if you need this, I'll pay for it. Like, let me just put like, I'll make this problem go away. So to me, we have to go through the idea that like, I'm understanding that this starts with emotion. Like this is a feeling I'm experiencing, not a reality. Like this is a feeling. And to me, once you can get to that understanding, then we can do a lot of work and kind of move past them. That's yeah. great. With co-parenting, you know, a lot of times the feeling is your kids are going to love the other one better. So, mm -hmm. you know, that's why maybe that fawn approach comes in quite often. Um, you know, it's, it is if they could step back and say, okay, what am I feeling? And this has nothing to do with my children or their behavior. It really has to do with my own insecurities or ego. Right. And, and to, to take that a step further, I think that what you said there is it has nothing to do with my kids. And and that is what I see over and over and over again, is that people turn their children into their emotional avatars, which means like, I don't want my kid to feel what I felt as a kid. I want my kid to face that rejection I felt. Maybe I didn't have a good relationship with my dad. So I'm going to try extra hard to make sure my kid has a good relationship with their dad. And it's like, those are things you can't control. And to me, what I, what we work through first with clients is that most of your triggers come from childhood. And most people I talk to want to blame, or it's easiest to blame the co-parent, but I can coach somebody for three months and spend 3% of that time talking about the co-parent because it has so little to do with the co-parent. It has to do with how your emotions were handled as a kid. If you are an emotionally expressive kid and your parents told you to fix your face or go to your room until you can be better, or you they they said you were too much, or you know, I don't know why you have to act like that, or it's not that big of a deal, that's where your stuff started. That's where these unmet needs started, where you just needed to be validated. You just needed to be supported. You just needed to be seen or heard. And now what gets triggering is when your co-parent talks to you and you just want them to validate you. Like, hey, I'm trying here too. Why can't you try? Why can't you see how hard I'm trying? 
or if you know somebody is talking about wanting to buy something for and you want them to pay their half because that would feel respectful and you're searching for respect from the other person it's that unmet need from childhood that's the driving force so then when the co-parent doesn't meet that that's when those big emotions flare up and what i coach people through is like let's start validating yourself Let's start by respecting yourself. Let's start by seeing, hearing yourself. And once we have that practice going, we can see how much you really need it from your co-parent. And more often than not, the more you're able to do that for yourself, the less impact your co-parent has over you. That's powerful. That's interesting (laughs) because, you know. (laughs) It makes you think. And that's what I love about what I do is that like, even if you don't agree, and I'm not saying that you don't, but it's like, I'll leave you with things to think about. And I think that that's why some people initially, they like, they're like, okay, I'm not ready for this. But then I just feel like I've planted a seed. And then a couple of weeks ago by, or I've even had people a couple of months later go by, okay, Jay, I'm ready. And it's like, okay, I'm glad you've been thinking about it. Like that's, no, because they start seeing it show up in the way that they communicate with their co-parent. Like, oh, I am wanting him to validate me. I am wanting her to tell me I'm doing a good job. Why do I need her to tell? We're not even together anymore. Why do I need her to tell me that? And then it's like, okay, now you can teach me, Jay. Now that I'm starting to see it for myself, now I'm ready. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, you know, you you know, when you brought up the part about the spouse, I mean, you have a really good um, mindset that, listen, if your kids need something, you don't need to ask your spouse to pay. You're going to pay it. You want your kids to have it. And I think a lot of times the opposite happens. Like your kid wants something and one of the spouses doesn't want to pay because it's a control mm-hmm. It's a, you're, somebody's looking to control the other co-parent, you know? And so I, I could always remember just flipping it, saying to my ex, okay, if you don't want him or her to have that, can you tell them that they're not going to have it? Mm. You know, because our financial uh, status was different. Um, They never wanted to be the bad guy. And so I don't know. So maybe there were some emotions attached there that I'm not even aware of, you know, at that time. You know, I just knew how to work the system, so to speak, Mm -hmm. Uh, because at the end of the day, I was thrilled if my kids could have something that he could afford and I couldn't, if he was willing to pay it. Well, and that's to me, it's interesting how you even phrase that is that I, I, I don't coach that they want control over you. I coach that they want control over something in their life and they will always go for the easiest thing to control. And it's up to clients, it's up to co-parents to not be the easiest thing. Because if they can send you a text message or they can say something flippantly and it sends you over the edge, you're the easiest thing in their life to control. So why would they go somewhere else? Like, why would they, why would they look at their own life? Why would they look at their money if you're easy to control? Jay, can you get on our next 10? We have about five or six assessment calls a day. And I can't, I can't tell you, and this is going to shift this from not the co-parenting. I know Karen knows where I'm going with this. It is so many people who are dealing with the other spouse and asking for permission to get financial clarity. And it's like, why are you asking for that? Especially, and I, and you, I mean, this is dumbfounded to all of us is, Sometimes that spouse that they're asking this permission for is spending money on girlfriends or boyfriends or what have you, and that you're still feeling that need to ask for permission to get your own financial clarity. Well, and I don't want to overspeak here, but are are the majority of your clients women, like the moms? Uh, We're about 70, 30. 
No, okay. 70 percent women, 30%. Well, I'm, I'm even a little bit higher. So I think that mine's like 80% women. And mm -hmm. for me, what I find is that's how the conditioning works. Like this is why I start with childhood. I don't start with the co-parenting relationship. I start with the childhood because a lot of women, a lot of girls are conditioned to listen. They're conditioned to be good. They're conditioned to follow the rules. And that's what's hard about co-parenting plans or courts, or we'll talk about documentation, but it's like, if I follow the rules, then it'll work out, right? It's like when they were in school, I'm going to get good grades and then I'm going to get on the honor roll. And then when I'm on the honor roll enough times, I'm going to get a good recommendation and I'm going to get to a good college. All these milestones, there are all these finish lines, there are all these things that were like, if you do good, if you're a good girl, then we'll reward you. And then you get out into the real world and especially into co-parenting and divorce and that stuff doesn't exist anymore. There's no honor roll for co-parenting. There's no, I talk nice enough so I should get something. And I think that what you're at or what you're saying about they're asking for, for permission, they were never taught how to make decisions for themselves. They were never taught like I can make something happen, people be upset and I'm still a good person. They were taught and conditioned that if people are unhappy, I did something wrong. So it's really that that to me is where the emotion side comes in, because we've got to change that mindset. We've got to really show you that, like, you can take up space. You can make decisions for yourself. You can think about yourself because most of them, well, I got to do this. What's best for the kids? I've never talked to a, a co-parent, but I've never especially talked to a mom who can make a decision for themselves that was beneficial that wouldn't directly benefit the kids. So it's like, you can do that in your sleep. You can make good decisions for your kids in your sleep. It's time to practice making good decisions for you now. Oh, I totally agreed here. That is, that sums it up basically. Yeah, mm -hmm. it does. Mm -hmm. And I'm on Zoom every day with either individuals or mom and dad mm -hmm. running through the, you know, how they live their life. And when we get to the kids' expenses, there's always a huge hiccup there. Mm -hmm. So one parent has a stark um, opinion or lens or perspective about what the what should be spent on the children. And the other parent has a completely different approach. And I watch them interact. And a lot of times it comes like with their activities, right? So, you know, well you know, our son or our daughter plays soccer or baseball. And the other parent will come right out and say, well, they're not going to do that anymore because, you know, it, it's not worth our money. You know, they're never going to go to college on a scholarship. And they have this discussion that's completely probably opposite now that they're going through the divorce process and what it was when they're bringing the children up together, right? Because the manager of the finances is all of a sudden curtailing what he or she believes should be spent moving forward. And so I watch this happen all the time. And I watch typically the mom just become very deflated and thinking, how am I going to do this? Because now, you know, I got to get approval for everything. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's a lot of what you're talking about, Jay, is kind of learning to stand in your own power and figuring these things out when life seems to be pivoting in that area. 
So, and yeah, that you bring it up in such a great way because to me, that's what I mean by making the kids the emotional avatar is like mom is struggling through this divorce. Mom is struggling through this separation. There's a chance that she's making less money and is going to have to get used to a lifestyle with less money. And so her, her mindset is I can't let the kids suffer. I can't let this impact the kids. I can't let the kids kind of feel things are going to be different. But the reality is that they, it is. It is going to have an impact. It is going to change. And not but. And that's okay. And I'll give you an example because when I got certified as a coach, like when I was the end of 2020. So the end of 2020 through 2021, I was investing so much money into my coaching. And so some of y'all might be investing their money into um, their divorce case, right? You're spending, I spent upwards of $20,000 that year. To be fair, I only was making about $36,000. So like what that means, we didn't go out to eat at all in 2021. My kids weren't in like extracurriculars. At that point, uh, three years, two years ago, they were six and seven. So they weren't in sports. We didn't go on vacation that year. We didn't buy new clothes. But it was because I had something in mind that I was working towards. And to me, what I, I see is that there's so many moms, there's so many new co-parents that are in that survival mode of like, let's just maintain, let's just keep what we have. And to me, what we have to understand is that I would rather have a year of discomfort and then come out of it stronger, better, more uh, equipped to handle things without my co-parent than stay attached until my co-parent gets on the same page as me. How, like I know that you've talked to people that are stuck years into co-parenting. And what do they say? I, I, I just, we just need to be on the same page. We, if we could just get on the same page, then things would be better for the kids. Ah, kids are going to be okay. Like well, you need to that. plan. You need to know. How many married couples right now are on the same page? <laughs> right? You know? So. Yeah. Yeah. So why you if you weren't on the same page when you're married, why are you expecting to be on the same page when you're divorced? You're yeah. well, everyone's going to parent and, differently. And if well, I want to give for, my kids for a couple McDonald's, of years, if I want to give my kids McDonald's on the weekend, I don't care that you want them to have carrots. Like that's just the way I'm not right. going to kill my kids. I'm going to lay down knowing I did the best for my kids at the time I was doing it, as you said earlier. Well, and for, for two years, I was a sixth grade teacher and I loved that job. It was like, I love that age, like that. Like they, those kids, they just needed to be told out, like, you're okay. Hey, I've been through this too, like this awkward stage or like, you know, your friend groups. For a lot of them, they're in new friend groups for the first time. They're experiencing new things. Their bodies are changing more than like any curriculum, more than any like school related thing. It was so clear that those kids just needed to be told, hey, you're okay. I've been through this before. You're going to like, this is normal. Co-parents aren't any different. They're just the same awkward, gangly, new in this life. And they just need to be told, hey, you're gonna be okay. You're gonna, like, I've been through this. And to me, what tends to happen is that they start following Instagram pages that make them feel so alone. They make them feel like their co-parents the worst. Their co-parents this, their co- and they start labeling things because they don't understand how to deal with it. And to me, like the worst trap a co-parenting can can fall into is that isolation that like nobody gets this nobody understands 
And then I've had this group, this co-parenting community on Facebook. And like one of my favorite comments was like, we were going through a group session and somebody said, I feel like we've all been married to the same man. And it was just like, <laughs> yes, like, because most of you women have been conditioned by society and by parents and by school the same way. So then you sought out very similar men. So you aren't going through this in isolation. You're actually going through it with thousands, if not millions of other women. But the way that the court is set up, the way that society is set up is that they want you to feel alone so that they can kind of pull you apart and make you more reliant. And where I see the, the benefits and the, the outcomes of my coaching is that it creates independence. It creates self-sufficiency. It creates a mindset that like, this sucks and I can handle it. And to me, that's just like, if we could start that earlier, that's, you know, that's what I'm hopeful for is that if more co-parents figure out that, then the next generation is just set up for success. That's why we would with our process. I mean, we have a judgment-free process and you come in there and you have all these reasons why you didn't handle the finances and particularly women. They want to explain that they chose or that it was a group decision that they stayed home and raised the children, right? And they want to definitely tell us why and um, just feel better about themselves for doing that. And we see the shift. They sit a little straighter. They have a little pep in their step when they start getting the clarity. And the clarity for us is knowing what the numbers are, which are moving parts, what documentation you have to verify and what you don't have to verify, what's still outstanding. But that same person, if we could draw two paths and one did not come through our process and they just went to an attorney, they're going mm -hmm. to an attorney who's just directing them, who's mm -hmm. really just directing them based on their emotions. And so they still stay a little, you know, hunched over and a little bit scared and timid. And they're, they're repeating that pattern. When they come and get a little bit of financial knowledge, they now can own themselves. And to watch that transition, and that doesn't mean that they're watching CNBC and they're following the stock mm -hmm. market and they're staying up at night and looking at the global markets or anything like that. It means that they understand what they're looking at and what they need to look at. And for me, it brings tears to my eyes when I see an informed client pick their attorney or an informed client co-parent, because having the information is the most powerful thing in the divorce process and beyond. Well, so, and that's, oh, go ahead, Karen. Well, I was just going to make the conclusion there that a lot of um, people hire their professionals that almost mimic their spouse, right? So whatever relationship they had there, like if their spouse was the financial manager, then they're handing it over to their attorney and saying, just fix this for me. So there's no exercise of independence like you were talking about, Jay, right? And, and going through that exercise to gain knowledge and independent thinking is imperative especially when you are, you know, exiting into a, a, an independent, a new independent life. Well, and it's so interesting that you said that because I've had multiple clients tell me that I remind them of their ex. And to me, it's so interesting because what I have found in my coaching over these last two to two and a half years is that there's generally one of the co-parents that, you know, through conditioning, through their childhood, through society, they naturally think about others first. They're, they're looking out for other people's emotions. They're putting other people's emotions and needs first at the detriment of themselves, right? So they would benefit and they benefit the most from learning how to balance that out by thinking about themselves. 
And the other co-parent generally thinks about themselves first and struggles to maybe see the impact of their actions and their words on other people. And it kind of is at the detriment of the entire ecosystem. And those people generally come together and enmeshed in their, you know, attached ways. And then the breakup, it's like you see it and you point it out how they do it different than you. But I think that what attracts so many, especially moms to me, is I'm the latter one. I do think about myself first, naturally. That is my first instinct. When I walk into a room or into a situation, I think about what am I going to get out of this? How is this going to benefit me? And I've had to learn and I have to be intentional about, okay, I know my words have power. I know my words have impact. So how are my words impacting other people? How can I help other people? And that's really what's been my business and my coaching program is how, like the result of me learning how to help other people as well. But I think that that's like a healing process to talk to somebody, to be supported by somebody who does have that, you know, I, I, I think that we talked about touching on this, like that narcissistic tendency to think about myself, to be selfish, to to not always put my kids first, and to have a coach who you can see cares about the kids, cares about other people, to see that balance. I think there's a lot of healing that happens with a lot of my clients. Well, doing that paradigm shift, I wish it was as easy as you're putting it out there right now. And, and kudos to you for actually doing that. But in the end, do you end up thinking, okay, by me setting myself in the backlight here and by putting that other person's needs, I really am benefiting from that because my kids are thriving because my kids are doing that. And that always, our kids are a reflection of ourselves, good, bad, or indifferent, right? Um, well, and yeah, what I found is that it's through healing that like anything improves. So there's times that I get caught up in like, okay, how can I make more money in my business? How can I make more money? And then I try to put out an idea that's going to make money and it falls flat. And it's like a 99% failure rate when I'm just trying to make money because that's me. I'm focused on me. How can this benefit me? When I switch that and like, how can I help more people? How can I give people more resources? Then I get clients. Then I get people asking, how do I do this? What do I need to do? And it's like, it's that subtle shift. It's not that I have to stop thinking about myself. It's like I have to let go of the outcome being attached to how it's helping me. Like I, It's almost like instead of one quick step from me to money, it's like, what if I just went from me to how I can help other people? What do they need? And just trust that on the other side of that, I'll benefit. And I think that that's where there's a lot of letting go. There's a lot of trust. There's a lot of belief that it takes small leaps of faith. It takes being okay with mistakes. It takes being okay with failure. And then a big one, it takes other people not understanding. Like there's so many people who don't understand my methods and don't understand how how what I say could work. And yeah. I just have to continue believing that it does because well. I've seen it work. It do it will work. And let me let me put a little challenge out there or actually a proposition. Because if you take exactly what you just said and we take it to your group, your Facebook group, or to our audience, and take that same application and take what part of our process is, it is going through different scenarios. And so what we do is because we're creatively thinking, but once you have we go through A, B, and C scenario, and a lot of times it is what is it that you want, right? Mm -hmm. 
And then what is it? Because a lot of people think that they know what their spouse is attached to financially. So let's mm -hmm. look at what it is that your spouse wants. And then what's that third scenario that really will not just benefit you because everybody has to compromise and divorce. And it won't just it won't just benefit your spouse, but it will be a nice equilibrium between, between the two. And there's a successful resolution to a divorce. So we could apply your teachings mm -hmm. as a coach to a division scenarios. And there you have it. You won't spend hundreds of thousand dollars fighting in the courts who won't do any of that. Well, and this is. So one of my favorite things to talk to with clients is like, you are going to get a lot more out of the situation by like dropping, like you're going to get a lot more when you let go than by holding on because you're going to get more than you're getting now, but less than you wanted. But right now by holding on, you're getting zero. So maybe you wanted 75% custody and you're holding on to that, holding on to that, holding on to that. But you're fighting every day. And if you let go and you drop down to 50%, yes, you're getting less than you expected, less than you wanted, but you get peace back. You get your life back. You get to start moving forward and progress and not talk about your co-parent all the time. So to me, it's like that that need to hold on. People just, it's almost like they need that win. They need that control in their life. And it's like nothing like that is meant for you is going to miss you. Like everything that you were supposed to have will come for you. It just might look different than what you thought. I remember one of my first Christmas Eves without the kids and they were just going to their dad's for dinner. And I was like, okay, no, it was Christmas. They were going, I had them Christmas Eve. And so they left and I poured a glass of wine and I heated up my leftovers from the night before and it was quiet mm -hmm. and I was by myself and I was like, oh, this is great. Well, before I knew it, they were coming barging through the doors. I'm like, oh my God, you're back. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> they do find you. They do come back to you too quickly sometimes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And sometimes those arguments, you know, we we have those discussions with clients a lot because those arguments aren't the same argument to both parents, right? Mm -hmm. One parent, it's all about the kids, and the other parent, it's all about managing the outflow of child support, child support, right? So sometimes to your point, just let it go because it will come full circle once that kind of resets and you get past this hiccup. Well, yeah. can I, I, I don't want to over talk child support, but can I give one small tidbit that, that seems out my clients and it's, you know, you might not do this, but it's something to think about because I always compare what you go through with co-parenting to what you go through as a parent, because your kids and your co-parent aren't that dissimilar. Like they're, they're the same thing. And if you treat them the same way, you'll get a lot further. And if I want my kids to help me wipe up after dinner, like I have my kids wipe the table and I have them wipe the chairs. There's a big difference between if I have them help me wipe and I'm like, Hey, thanks. I appreciate that. Like, Thanks for helping out. Even if they don't do a hundred percent job, even if they don't do the same job that I would do, they're going to continue to help. If after they're done, I'm like, Hey, I appreciate that. That's all. Thank you. Then if I go behind them and say, Oh, you missed this spot or you missed that spot. Or like, how come you're not doing it as good as I could. And I just put the challenge out there. How many times do people thank their co-parent for child support? How many times have you ever thanked your co-parent for paying it. Well, they're supposed to, Jay. Yeah, my kids are supposed to help me clean up the table too. 
But just because they're supposed to doesn't mean I can't be grateful for it. And if I am only harped on when it's missed or when I don't do it right, my motivation for keeping doing it goes down and then it's just a battle and I can fight that battle. Like, you know, it just, there's these subtle mindset shifts that really start to change things. And maybe you don't think them every time, but it's one of those seeds that like, oh, maybe I, maybe I could think about this a little bit different. And to me, like, you know, that's, that's my approach to child support rather than how can I get him to pay it every time sort of a thing. Yeah. I love that. I've done that. I like that. I think it it works. It definitely works. (laughs) Oh my goodness, Jay, we could talk with you for another hour. I'm sure. However, uh, for time's sake, we do have to conclude this episode on managing co-parenting triggers, mastering the dollars and cents of a parenting plan. Jay, how can our listeners find you and learn more about you? So right now, everything is on Instagram. So I'm at Jay Skibbins. Um, you can get on my page. You can download my free ebook to work through your triggers. Um, it's something I'm really, really proud of because no matter where you're at in the journey, it'll help out. And then in the next couple of weeks, I'll be relaunching my course, the Co-Parenting Blueprints, um, how to go from surviving co-parenting to thriving in co-parenting. And that's going to be something that that is kind of the culmination of what I've been working on the last couple of years. So it takes everything that I've been through, everything that I've been coaching over, and it really is like an A to Z framework on how to make this work. So start with Instagram and and just follow me on there. Sounds great. Thanks so much for a great conversation. No, I appreciate it. I appreciate you having me on. If you're considering divorce, make sure to protect your wealth with divorce financial planning from My Divorce Solution. Our certified divorce experts will help you untangle your finances and understand your settlement options so you can negotiate your marital assets with confidence. Protect your financial estate with divorce financial planning. Visit MyDivorceSolution.com to see if you qualify to work with our financial divorce experts. That's MyDivorceSolution.com for expert divorce financial planning. Thanks for joining us on another episode of We Chat Divorce. We hope this episode was informative and supportive on your divorce journey. If you're looking for more support for navigating divorce with confidence and clarity, head over to MyDivorceSolution.com for more podcast episodes, divorce events, and resources for your divorce. We'll see you back here for our next episode.